Our gospel this morning is from John chapter 20. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Jesus answered, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. The word of our Lord. My favorite scar story actually happened just a couple of years ago with uh, Jody and Tom. I was on a ski trip actually with people from church. We had finished skiing up in Duluth. We're all sitting in the hot tub. The bubbles stopped and you know you got to get out then and turn the little dial to uh, turn it back on again. I got out. I managed to turn the dial and then I turned around and I was like I am in big trouble and I hit the pool deck (laughs) with my face not my hands. And just like skinned off the whole like front side of my face and I still have the scar up here to show for it. And Jody uh, sat me up and I sat up for a few seconds and then I passed right back out again <laughs> the second time around. It was a good time. <laughs> uh, I, I want to talk this morning a little bit about trauma uh, as we are doing today and I'm going to do a couple of different things. First I want to talk about being grateful Uh, Then I'm going to talk a little bit about mental health and trauma. I'm not a trauma expert um, by any stretch of the imagination, so if I say anything that's wrong and you know that I'm wrong, please uh, make sure and correct me afterwards. Then I want to reflect a little bit on Jesus uh, and especially the story of Thomas. Uh, So uh, let's pray. Gracious God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears that we might hear a word for us today anew, and that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So first of all, I am enormously grateful uh, to Kay and to our care team uh, who have helped us think about not just trauma but mental illness over the last few years and have really helped us focus on being a congregation that's open and willing to talk about these things. Uh, One of the reasons why I think it's important that we do this is this should be a place, not just the sanctuary, but the building in general, and then us as representatives of the body of Christ, I really think we should be the ones who are open to telling the truth about who we are, about what we've experienced, and how we live. And what I mean by that is, I hope this is a place, and your relationships with one another are such that when we walk in and somebody says, how are you, the regular responses of okay, or I'm really busy, uh, just aren't enough. Uh, We should be a place in a family where somebody says, how are you, and you're doing fine, you should say, fine. But if you're not, uh, I hope that we're a place uh, that you can say, I'm not fine. I'm not okay. Uh, If there's any place in the world that we should be able to do it, it should be here. When we start almost every worship service with a brief order for confession and forgiveness, this should be the place that there are no bounds to what we cannot say about what's happening in our lives. I think that's an expression of God's love and God's grace to be able to come and say the truth about who we are. I'm not just busy, I'm not okay. My work is bad, 
my life is bad, my family is bad, whatever it is. Or on the opposite side, everything is great. So I'm grateful for Kay because I think having even just the opportunity to say trauma and talk about mental health issues in the middle of the sanctuary is important. Uh, so I'm grateful. Uh, and I'm grateful that one of the things that I know is hearing conversations between people in our family are often honest and real. And I'm grateful for that. Let's talk a little bit about mental health and trauma. Uh, mental health and trauma are related, but they are also not the same, right? So for example, you could have mental health issues and not have experienced trauma. Uh, and you could have experienced trauma and also not, had men not have mental health issues. So although these things are related, they are not the same. Uh, and so what I want to say about um, mental health issues is so, for example, we do know that there's lots of anxiety and depression and these kinds of things that are taking place in our culture, addiction. Uh, one of the things that we know, so for example, on the University of Minnesota campus, there was recently a study uh, done by uh, the university's campus ministry. And something like 29% of students reported that in the last year they had seriously contemplated suicide. Almost a third. Do you know how startling that is to me? And then that, that information is actually then corroborated by national studies, that somewhere between 25 and 30% of incoming freshmen on university campuses reports taking seriously the opportunity to enact suicide. That's amazing. It's mental health issues are epidemic in our country right now for all sorts of different reasons. But this morning I want to talk about trauma and the difference of what trauma is. Um, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, also known lovingly as the DSM, uh, which is the Bible of mental health disorders, uh, defines trauma as direct personal experience of an event that involves actual or threatened death or serious injury, threat to one's physical integrity, witnessing an event that evolves the above experiences, learning about unexpected or violent death, serious harm or threat of death, or injury experienced by a family member or close associates. Memories associated with trauma are typically explicit, coherent, and difficult to forget. The person's response to adverse details of traumatic events involve intense fear, helplessness, or horror. And in children, it is often manifested as disorganized or adjective behaviors. This is important. Trauma can be caused by a wide variety of events, but there are a few common aspects. There is frequently a violation of the person's core assumptions about the world, and their human rights, putting the person in a state of extreme confusion and insecurity. This is seen especially when institutions depend upon, dependent upon survival violate, humility, betray, or cause major losses or separations instead of evoking aspects like positive self-worth, safe boundaries, and personal freedoms. What I want to say about my understanding of trauma and my experience of trauma with people is that trauma is a self-identity rending event where who you are is literally pulled apart somehow by the experiences that you've either seen, witnessed, or been a part of. It is literally like tearing one's interior, excuse me, sense of self apart. The other thing that it does is it rends one's worldview in half. So that it is very difficult to comprehend what happened to you. Um, what I think is one way of thinking about trauma versus just mental health issues is that oftentimes when we think of trauma, we might think of PTSD, which I think is actually sort of helpful, at least it was for me. 
And what happens with PTSD is someone continues to relive that experience as if it is happening right here, right now, all over again. Whereas what often happens when we have negative events in our lives is that we have the ability to contain them and create narrative and story around them. Trauma is so rending that our brains cannot get their selves, our brains can't get around it. And so that event stays stuck. So while these are sort of mini traumas, the way, I, the way I've started to think about trauma is that, so for example, I know that when my friend Mike Sween died in a tragic car accident when I was a first year pastor, I can still remember and feel what it was like to stand in the Hennepin County Coroner's Office with my friend Mike, who looked just fine on the other side of a glass window, but whose impact of the car accident rended his insides to the point that he died and I couldn't touch him. Because of the way the Hennepin County works, you can't touch the body until they've figured out exactly what happens, and we're standing on the other side of that glass. And I can picture exactly what that looked like. So for trauma pe people who have experienced more significant trauma than that, they might be able to, for example, explain what the wallpaper looked like in the room in which they were abused. And they can't put any other narrative around that. One of the things that's happened with my friend Mike is we put narrative around that. What did his life mean? We created a golf tournament. We've been able to compartmentalize it and think about it. But in trauma, you relive it as if your brain cannot process it. And so it gets stuck there. Does that make sense? Do you get what I'm saying? The difference between trauma and sort of mental illness or the traumas that maybe some of the minor ones that we've experienced, 9-11 might be like that too. Um, and then it can even be heightened when it's a trusted person or a trusted institution. So no wonder people who have experienced clergy abuse are some of the most traumatized people you could possibly imagine. The very institution that's supposed to keep you safe has just violated not only your identity but your worldview. Um, one of the things that's interesting to just sort of highlight this is there are two... Um, really interesting on being podcasts that I listened to with Krista Tippett. And if you want, uh, I can tell you what those were uh, at the, at the, after church is over. But one of them was talking to um, a psychologist named Dr. Van Der Kolk. He's an American, but he has a, I think it's a Dutch name. There was a story, and it's called the Grant Study that he cites. And it was uh, done from 1939 to 1942. And they followed these classes at Harvard every five years, interviewing them. Uh, and it's still actually ongoing to this day. Most of them went off to war, you know, in 1942, and almost all of them came back in 1945, and they kept being interviewed. So they have interviews from this group of people from 89, 90, and 91, and it turns out the people who didn't develop PS, uh, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, which was the vast majority, they tell very different stories uh, than the people who experienced um, PTSD. The people um, who come back and have had PTSD uh, have not processed the story. They can't transform it. Um, and so other people that have come back from those war experiences have been able to integrate them into their lives, but others just weren't, and they just keep telling the exact same story over and over again, like they're reliving it. Um, the other thing that I've learned about trauma is that trauma not only uh, changes people uh, in that uh, mental uh, capacity, it also changes you on the biological level. 
Uh, one of the th strange things that we've learned from something called epigenetics is that uh, if you think of DNA sort of as your um, hardware, uh, there are switches alongside of that DNA that somebody uh, that I read describes as software, and those switches can get changed. So what's really interesting is actually the children of victims who survived the Holocaust show the same levels of cortisol as people who have experienced mass trauma like people who have returned from Vietnam. So it's, it's actually strangely possible to pass along trauma biologically, which raises all sorts of interesting concerns about how people have experienced slavery or oppression uh, or any sort of traumatic event that's happened to a significant population. Now, the good news is, is that these epigenetic switches can be changed also uh, by other experiences in the positive direction. So they both have negative implications going forward in populations, but they can also be switched uh, the other way around, which I find to be enormously interesting. There was another study that was done about people who are pregnant, moms who are pregnant during 9-11, uh, and their children show the same cortisol levels as the mothers who experienced the trauma of loss in 9-11. That's amazing to me. Um, so when we start thinking about scars and we start thinking about trauma, as Brian rightly pointed out, even though we might not see them, uh, they are genetic and they are transferable. I find that to be just absolutely uh, fascinating. Um, we talked a little bit about what could cause trauma. Just, you can probably think of all sorts of different things, natural disasters, abuse, war, violence, um, but even witnessing them uh, can cause people trauma. Okay, so that's, so we did grateful, we did mental health, we did trauma. Now I want to talk about the cross. And I want to talk a little bit about Jesus. How much time do I have? I'm good, all right, good. It's cold outside, you got only place to go anyway. <laughs> um, one of the things that I have, uh, I'm also grateful for is that if we think about these things in the context of our faith, it forces us to think about what happened to Jesus and the way Jesus reacted uh, and what happened differently. So I've never actually viewed the story of Jesus through the lens of trauma, but that's what I'm going to try and do for just a second. I think it would be, <laughs> I think this is not any great spectacular theological insight. The cross is trauma. In the middle of the story of our faith is an enormously traumatic experience. And events like this are real. And it's not that our faith tries to either run away or hide from them or minimize them. In fact, the story of Jesus, many people have said the story of Jesus is actually a long prologue into the story of the cross, which is central. Our, our faith is not shying away from these things. We need to get rid of this idea that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. That idea just has to go away. Because the essence of the story of the gospel is that often life and death itself is more that we can handle. It is a traumatic event that we often and probably cannot get our minds around. And at the middle of the story of Jesus is the story of the cross. So our faith isn't a denial of these things, but in fact a headlong run right straight into them. Our faith tells the truth about ourselves, our lives, and the life of God. Here's what I other think, also think. I think the disciples and Thomas had an experience of trauma. Can you not imagine that the person that you have oriented your entire life around for the last three or so years suddenly is taken up by the government that's supposed to protect you 
nailed them to a cross in a public square for everyone to see as an enormously traumatic experience that is supposed to be a deterrent to keep the peace. So the very government that's supposed to keep you safe just took the person that you've been following for the last three years and nailed them on a cross as a public expression of don't be like that. No wonder these people went and hid. What else are you going to do? That is trauma. No wonder they can't figure out what in the world just happened. It is a traumatic experience. And Jesus enters right into it. What I think is interesting, too, is that Jesus is healed. We've lovingly named this piece of art the Whistling Jesus, which is both great and unfortunate. But nonetheless, (laughs) there it is. Uh, Jesus is healed but permanently impacted. I find this to be fascinating. It's something I thought about a couple of years ago at Lent, uh, that how is it that a first century nameless uh, Roman soldier can permanently scar the hands of God? That I find to be just amazing. God does not come out of the tomb like with a perfect body. Thomas says, I want to see the scars in your hand and I want to put my hand in your side. God in God's self is wounded by this event. I find that to be enormously interesting. There's, there's a study um, that was done, uh, and one of these uh, psychologists that was interviewed with Krista Tippett tells the story of when he first began, and he was first treating uh, Vietnam vets who had come home with PTSD. And, you know, as a new physician, you probably think you've got all these awesome... I've never been a physician, so I don't have no idea what I'm talking about. But you have all these tools in your bag, right? And you're going to give it to this person some medication to help them because you want to help them. So he gave this Vietnam uh, vet some medication to help them with their post-traumatic stress disorder. And three weeks later for a checkup, the Vietnam vet came back and the doctor said, well, how, how did that go? And he said, I didn't take them. I didn't take them because I did not want to forget or honor the memory of those who did not return. I want to live with my trauma as a memory to honor those who didn't survive. There is a reason that God holds the trauma within God's own hands as an indicator of God's level of empathy into which God enters into the real life of humanity. This is not a distant God. This is a God who is so intimate as to even walk right into death and let that scarring impact him. The other thing that I think is interesting, I've always wondered about this on uh, Easter. <laughs> One of the stories about the disciples is that they run up to the tomb and they, like, they, they, they look in, right? And I've always had this weird picture. I'm like, what are you doing? They stick their heads in and they're like looking around, like maybe he's in here, we're going to find him, right? And then they, they're out. Um, Uh, And of course, he's not in there. I wonder if part of it isn't that Jesus, one of the things that has to happen for PTSD to be worked through, right, is you have to have a container. One of the psychologists called it a portable container in which you can put your trauma so that you can then look at it and tell stories about it narratively. What if the tomb is where Jesus leaves death? What if the tomb is where Jesus actually leaves the experience of death so that we can look at it and reflect on it narratively because otherwise it's just plain too much to handle. I I wonder if the tomb doesn't actually allow us then to tell narrative stories about what hopes looks like when Jesus emerges even with scars in hand. 
even when you fall down on the balcony in church and bonk your head and end up with a scar. <laughs> um, I wonder if the tomb isn't the, the portable place that Jesus leaves death so that we can tell narrative stories about what that was and, and not suffer the PTSD of what death will be for all of us. Uh, the other thing, uh, the last uh, couple of little bits is I love Thomas in this story because Thomas, I think we've made Thomas into the sort of this Eeyore character that's like, I'm not, I wasn't there, I'm not going to believe because I didn't see him, right? I think we've sort of made... Um, Thomas into this doubting sort of drip. This is not actually, I think, what Thomas is, is, is like at all. In fact, the word that Thomas uses, it's not just a, gosh, I, I wasn't there. I'd really like to see it. Thomas is, I will not absolutely under any circumstances believe until I put my hand in his hand and I see his side. It is demanding and accusatory. Thomas tells the truth. You've, we've all met these people, Right? They just, they sort of shatter your illusions and the little things that you build up around your life so that you can move on without kind of telling the truth. Thomas is one of these guys that's, he's the no BS guy, right? He just comes right at it and asks for what he needs and what he wants. He's honest. Um, I think that would be a better viewing of Thomas. Um, We're not going to avoid trauma. And Thomas just bravely says, I want to go there. If Jesus went there, I'm going to see it. It's brave. Uh, it's honest. I think it's also healing and hopeful. Uh, the last thing I want to say about Jesus and, and trauma is this. If there is one thing that uh, we should have as central to who we are as followers of Jesus is that this is the guy who, when he walks out of the tomb, isn't whistling. He's blowing the Holy Spirit of recreation back on all of us. That's what he's supposed to be doing. Um, and what he's blowing onto you is an identity that cannot be taken away by anyone ever under any circumstance. You are at your core a beloved child of God. The entire gospel is a narrative to convince you that Jesus is God's beloved son. And in so doing, to convince you beyond any traumatic experience that you are a beloved child of God. And there is no trauma ever that can rend that away, not even death. Amen.